about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. And we are back. Welcome to an off-season episode of the Four Horsemen Podcast. I'm joined by Steve and by P-Wagon. And yes, we're here to, uh, to talk to you guys about the draft and the blue and gold game. So we don't want to waste anyone's time. Nice light spring episode here to kind of fill some content. Uh, P-Wagon, let's start with you. What are your thoughts on the draft? Dylan, do they have spring in Canada? Uh, <laughs> good question. I believe it's a lot like a New England spring, where it's winter until summer, you know? Uh, yes. The, the, I call Canada the land is all, always winter. Uh, of always, whatever. That was a James yeah. Burns reference. I couldn't land that plane. Uh, what did I think of the draft? It, it was a draft. Uh, it was long and boring, and I hate it, but uh, it was a draft. I was surprised. I watched... I watched all three days, every moment of it. I love the draft. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, I uh, I liked the draft in the fact that I think we had some great surprises, which we'll all cover. Um, but I also didn't like the draft and the fact that no Notre Dame guys landed on a uh, Pittsburgh Steelers roster. And the last guy from Notre Dame to go to uh, to Pittsburgh has, has turned out pretty, pretty darn good. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll uh, we'll obviously break it down pick by pick and, and also some free agent signees. But, boys, it's it's great to be back. And only can we have the optimism in our voices right now while it's spring and nothing could have possibly gone wrong with the season yet, even though something kind of went wrong, which we'll get into. So we had nine Notre Dame guys drafted. We put out a poll asking everyone to guess. And I, I picked the category. So it was like under five, six to eight. 9 to 11 or more than 12. And I, I had a feeling 9 to 11 would win. If you picked 0 to 5, I don't know what's wrong with you. We were a college football playoff team with a lot of turnover. Um, so I think we finished with the third most um, drafted in this class behind Ohio State and Alabama. Um, so nine guys, they went in this order. Liam Eichenberg to the Miami Dolphins at pick 42 in the second round. Aaron Banks, not, not so far afterwards, to the San Francisco 49ers. Um, a little bit... Steal. I think it was a steal, too. It was um, surprising. I don't think a lot of draft people thought he would go that high, but he definitely deserves it. Um, third pick for Notre Dame, Jeremiah Awusu-Koromoa. We're going to get into that in a moment. Um, Cleveland Browns in round two. Tommy Tremble, tight end to the Carolina Panthers in round three. Robert Hainsey, tackle to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in round three. And then surprise of the draft, I think at least in terms of when he was taken. But Ian, not going to the CFL book, Drafted to the New Orleans Saints in round four. Then we got Dalen Hayes and Addy going in round five, very close to each other. Dalen going to Baltimore and Addy going to Atlanta. And then lastly, the surprise pick of the seventh round, Ben Skoranek going to Los Angeles Rams. All right, let's do um, pick you are most excited for fit-wise. Fit-wise, probably the Browns with uh, Jock. I've declared, I have a friend who is a Browns fan from Cleveland, and I've declared my allegiance to the Cleveland Browns for this upcoming season. Uh, I think they stole him over some rumors of a heart issue. 
so I think that's going to be the best fit. The player I'm most excited to see have a long-term career and prove me wrong will be Ian Book. Uh, I have some thoughts on that, and we can definitely get into that. Uh, but I've been doing a lot of thinking, a lot of soul-searching uh, on that one. Steve? Yeah. Um, let's see. So it was the biggest surprise, and what was the other? Once more? Oh, just fit. Which one you liked or which fit, one you're most best excited fit. for? Okay, so best fit. I'm going Addy Ogundeji in the fifth round to the uh, to the Falcons. That's a low-risk pick, extremely high upside. We know Addy's a ridiculous athlete. He's the longest human being on the face of the earth. There's a reason why his long-ass arms forced so many fumbles on in, in the course of his career. Sorry for my little rat fucking dog. Um, and then surprised by was Tommy Tremble. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Tommy, I, I love Tommy. He's always... Uh, Tommy's always been awesome and I I think he had so much more you know great assets and athleticism to him uh, that he just did not get the ball enough and and I really wish he had obviously Michael Mayer played a a role in that but I I think it's it's going to be very unique to see with a new QB situation down in Carolina how he kind of finds his own into the league especially as a uh, you know a a blocker I mean he's he's gonna he's gonna get in to the lineup relatively quickly because he's willing to take guys on like a psychopath. And that's what I love. Yeah. He was a big riser in the draft, um, just off pure athleticism alone. Um, I'm going to go with the opposite of what P wagon said. I'll say best fit for me is Ian book in new Orleans. I think this is a perfect draft pick. I'm not saying Ian book's going to make it or he'll ever be a starter or whatnot. I'm making no claims there. I just like the fit where new Orleans doesn't have a quarterback like i'm sorry i don't believe in Taysom. what's his face and uh is it winston they got there or is it they do they have Taysom hill uh james winston and they have uh trevor simeon yeah so that's all awful <laughs> i have never been a believer in james winston so so just really quickly they have tim tebow 2.0 they have a blind guy and they have a guy that's really tall that can throw the ball to the other team like no other. Okay, worth noting. Yeah, so but Ian's got a good just, shot there, right? Yeah, he, he's going to start. We, we can put that on paper now. He, they didn't draft him in the fourth round to not eventually start. Taysom Hill is a fly-by-night jerk-off. Jameis Winston <laughs> sucks. I don't care he won the Heisman. He's a piece-of-shit quarterback. And Trevor Simeon. Yeah, it looks it looks good for Ian. That's why I like the fit. I also like the you know six foot short quarterback from an Indiana school going to replace a short quarterback from an Indiana school and Drew Brees. So that's kind of a, a nice little thing. And in terms of, I think most excited for it's definitely. Jeremiah Wusu Kormoa. The Browns are so good at drafting lately, and that's. I just love everything about that. To my detriment. To your detriment, Steve. But they have a really good football team now, which who would have thought anyone would say that? Um, And Jeremiah Jeremiah, um, patrolling out there is going to be pretty crazy. I I knew they had some concerns about the, um, what's the Clemson DB last year slash linebacker, Isaiah Simmons? um, Who was half linebacker, half safety, and nobody knew where to play him, and it people struggled with it and i know that was a hesitancy with with jeremiah but how great are we at the fort horseman podcast to 
be the first ones really out there to say it was a heart medically flagged. Whereas Dalton Miller and some other NFL guys were saying, ah, oh, we don't know if he fits well. You know, he, he might miss some tackles. We don't know what position he is. Screw that. We knew what it was. It was Dylan, a... can, I, can I just say something? Go ahead. And this, this is why I hate the NFL draft. You have all these reporters, air quotes, who think they know what they're talking about with their team. And they just watch what? Maybe 100 hours worth of film on each guy? Yeah, it's a lot of film. We've spent four years diagnosing every single person who's been drafted. For Ben Skoranek, it was a season. But still, college football analysts, and no, by no means are we analysts. We're just fans with opinions. No more than these fucking guys who are getting paid to spout off their mouth. That's all I wanted to say. That's why I don't believe in the NFL draft. Yeah, and we were totally vindicated, too, because we had tweeted out, medically flagged because I had heard it from a, an insider who was um, doing a live show for the Cowboys. Um, and he's really connected. And I felt confident in that, which is why I tweeted it out. And then Miller comes up with his saying, no, no, it's, it's not, I haven't heard anything about injury. It's the position and it's his testing and whatever. And um, we were vindicated because I think it was Ian Rapoport who tweeted like two days later, medically flagged for a heart and it was not even bad it's just because they couldn't get to him because of the covid regulations and there was no combine nobody could really go in and see the tests and everything's probably fine um it's just because he was flagged nobody really wanted to use a top premium pick on that which is a great deal for the browns i mean you're, you're getting in my opinion the best linebacker in this draft um in the middle of the second round so Credit to the Browns. Um, credit to Wu for hanging in there. He's going to absolutely destroy it in Cleveland. But yeah, that's just that's just kind of my thoughts on this. Um, I kind of called Eichenberg to the Dolphins. I had a feeling in Miami. Miami kind of likes their Notre Dame guys, and um, that's a good fit as well. Um, is there any one in particular you guys want to talk about or or discuss in further detail? Detroit becoming Notre Dame North. That's, That's I was just looking for that too, and um, yeah, yeah, go off, P. This is all off the top of my head. As you know, I don't do any research before I start talking. It's like Alize Mac, uh, Golden Tate was there at one point. Um, I got the list. The if you want me to buzz through it quickly, yeah. hit hit it. Yep. So they just to. signed three guys this past cycle from Notre Dame. So they have Javon McKinley, Brock Wright, and Tommy Kramer, who they all just signed as uh, free agents. And then already existing on the team is Romeo Aquara, Julian Aquara, Alizé Mack, and Jalen Elliott. So there are currently then, seven rostered Notre Dame guys that have played within the last three seasons, all on the Detroit Lions roster. And if you go historically, they had Golden Tate. They had... Um... Theoretic. Thank you. Right? Theoretic. I was trying to. Bl- I was blanking. TJ Jones. Did they have TJ Jones too? TJ Jones was on that team as well. That's People forget Tyler his name Taylor. was once Taylor Jones. T A I L O R. Right. Tyler Jones. <laughs> I always mix up TJ Jones with Theoretic. They one played receiver, one played running back for us. I mean, I, I just. Are you telling me both of those guys ended up with the Lions? Yes. Yes. At one point, Theoretic. Do you know TJ Jones now. is Canadian? I didn't know yes. that. I didn't know I that no actually until recently. I had looked him up and I found out he was from Winnipeg. Because when he was at Notre Dame, I just, you know, I didn't assume anything other than he was American. Yeah, he did play for the Lions. And did Theoretic also play for the Lions? 
Yes, he did. Yep. He was a good player for us. I remember that 2012 run. Mm-hmm. Solid, solid guy. Because he he played uh, receiver and running back, right? He made that. Yeah, he was exactly. He was, he was one of those screeners. He did play for the Lions. Damn. Yeah, the Lions are are Notre Dame North, and the Chargers are Notre Dame West. And uh, that's just kind of where we're we're at right now. Um, was there any other guys who s- signed, Steve? I know you were kind of looking at that list. Uh, yeah, earlier. so I Thanks. covered the uh, the, the three Chiefs. Lions guys. Uh, there, there was also Sean Crawford to the Raiders, which I think I is a that. very that's a great pick. Yeah, that's that's a great signing rather. Um, and I think this might sneaky be one of the best overall signings by anybody, and a phenomenal fit for an undrafted FA. Nick McLeod going going to the Buffalo Bills. My boy, yeah. I think that's a great move for McLeod. I mean, he's he had a really good season. I'm surprised he didn't get drafted. He had a really good senior bowl at Reese's Senior Bowl, right? He had like a pick or something like. No, I think he, yep. he think he had to go to the other one. He, oh, he, yeah, he, I think it was like. Bowl, the, but... Okay, yeah, yeah, for sure, exactly. Uh, but, but I mean, he, he definitely there. like he showed out in in everything that he was doing. So I'm not sure. I mean, I'm obviously not a, a GM or anything, but I, I think he was worth a late round pick in my opinion. So, uh, so high upside on McLeod to the Bills, and that that pretty much covers all kind of the the drafting uh, and signings. You, we had Chris Fink uh, signed with the Chiefs. Did That's Fink confirmed. play for us this past year, or was he two years ago? No, he was two. Years he was ago. two years ago, but he's still signed. <laughs> well, he, right. he worked. He worked out at multiple pro days. He worked out at. Trevor Lawrence's at Notre Dame's and the Chiefs took a flyer on him. So I think nice. he'll he'll be one of those players that may make squad, but it'll be tough. And and I guess it's really topical just for a really cool little story, but for anybody that did miss it, um, when Chris Fink signed that, I actually it just kind of jogged my memory, which we as we know is is a phenomenal memory. The best, honestly. Uh anyway, the <laughs> Uh, over the, one, once he, he signed with the chiefs, there was screenshots that came out from Julian Edelman where Chris Fink had DM'd him and said, Hey, I'm, I'm like, uh, you know, a guy from at Notre Dame and I'm trying to make my way into the depth chart, you know, any, any advice. And, and Julian gave him some, some tips and pointers. So, uh, and then a couple of years later, obviously, you know, Fink went on to play in the CFP playoffs and, and, uh, and, and then make it to the NFL. So it's pretty cool how, um, how, you know, he channeled the energy of uh, the ultimate uh, try-hard receiver, if I'm going to make a euphemism. And, and most importantly, though, Chris Fink went on to Randy Moss, two Michigan defenders in the end zone. So that on my wall. That should be on everyone's wall. That's just, that's one of the best moments, I think, of the last few years was mossing Michigan in the end zone. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of Michigan, not that I want to spend any time on them, but uh, how hilarious is it, if you guys have been following, that their new defensive coordinator they hired about a month and a half ago has just left to take a head coaching job at another college football program? No. Yes. Have you been following that at all? <laughs> I, so, I completely missed that, and that is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Maurice the, the Linguist, more... is, uh, he was a DB coach for the Cowboys. That's how I, that's how I know what's going on. So he left the Cowboys. I don't think the Cowboys really wanted him to come back. Uh, took a job as Jim Harbaugh's defensive coordinator. And like within a month, I think he's going to Buffalo or somewhere. He just <laughs> took a head coaching position. Huh, like it, it, Being a stepping stone program is one thing. But being a stepping stone for a month before the football season starts and after Didn't recruiting Harbaugh, has happened. 
Harbaugh put out this stupid infographic that was like, if you come coach for Michigan, you'll become a head coach somewhere else. How does he still have a job? He's so incompetent. He's massively incompetent. I hate him. Yeah. Well, I think I think everyone does. Like, is he? Does he? Like, does anybody think he's a likable guy? I, I, I not to yeah, derail, the derail the conversation. Yeah, in Ann Arbor do. Well, yeah. I, not to derail the conversation, but there's an account out there. Is a Boomer Sooner account that like ranks things. And they rank a lot of stupid things, I think, on purpose to get people to get mad. But they rank top 10 likable and unlikable coaches. And Coach Kelly was the top unlikable coach. And I was thinking, why? Like, I know Notre Dame fans wow. are iffy on him. But why does every Like, he, he got people he got red in the see, face his first they year. They see him as the red face guy. But That's that happened it. well, one it's, season. It's, all, it's propaganda. I know. It's, that was from his first season. It's been a Listen, decade. It's all if, propaganda. If, if Nathan Montana that, was throwing footballs for your team, you would be red in the face too. <laughs> well, and then the whole the whole scissor lift with Declan very sad situation that I don't want to bring up. Of course, that but that's what people bring up with him. But Brian Kelly, like I've had a phone conversation with him one time. Uh, I don't think I've ever told you that's that, but he they were uh, they were working at an undisclosed location, and I knew someone there, and he I was calling them for something, and they put him on the phone with me for like thirty seconds. I got to wish him good luck before the game. Great conversation, great guy. He's a Massachusetts guy. Yeah, and I mean, if you if you see Kelly in interviews and stuff, he's super personable. Like when he goes on Dan Patrick or he goes on Colin Coward, he's really funny, really intelligent. Like he's a likable guy to me, whether you think he's a good coach or not. Um, so I was really surprised. It might it has to be the you know, the Declan stuff that fans just like to throw for some reason. Um, and Harbaugh was on that list too, though. They said the worst tradition at Notre Dame was to play like a champion today sign, and I wanted to fight whoever ran that. Yeah, account. well, listen, listen, listen. I always, I kind of like Oklahoma. I kind of like the Sooners, but look, they're a Mickey Mouse program compared to us. They are yeah. apparently really historic, and it's true they are. But, like, how many Sooner fans do you really know? Like, outside of that area so, of the country, like, it's for a program that is as historic as Oklahoma, it doesn't have much pull. It doesn't. It's not half of Notre Dame, and like, sure, you had to play like a champion today. Guess which program made it famous? We did. Yeah. So get over it. You know, and also stick to they your little conference up Marcus rivalry. Dupree's career. I I don't get that reference, but um. So it, just really quickly, because it, you should watch this, and everybody in the world should watch it. It's an ESPN thirty for thirty. You can most likely find it on Netflix. It's called The Best There Never Was. It's about Marcus Dupree who was a running back for the Sooners back in the 1980s. That's all I'll say about it. Everyone go watch it. Highly recommend. There we go. So we, we've, we've took a, a big dump on Michigan and on Oklahoma. Um, let's, uh, <laughs> I just. Now let's talk about Notre Dame girls. Let's talk about Notre Dame. Shout, oh. shout out Nate. Uh, that was uh, interesting on, on social media. But let's talk about the blue and gold game. Um, P, you kind of watched it live. Um, I've watched clips of it. I've spent many hours trying to figure out the depth chart, which is the thing I've been working on for a couple months now. I'm really excited to publish that for you guys, um, which is going to come up soon. Um, in the meantime, thoughts on Blue v. Gold. Uh, P, I'll start with you since uh, you initially did a, a live thread on it on Twitter. So yes. go ahead. All right. So the biggest thing that I noticed while watching it 
one, Blake Fisher is a giant. Uh, and Rocco Spindler is also a giant. But the quarterback competition is way too even right now for me to I, be comfortable. I disagree. When you watched it live and you, if you didn't replay it, you saw Jack Cohn getting used to an offense. Jack Cohn has sneaky athletic feet because he was going to be a lacrosse player. Shout out Stateville, New York. You have Drew Pine, who's undersized. So those two battles right there. Drew Pine throws the ball well, historically undersized. He might be 5'11. Jack Cohn, six foot four, six foot five, good feet. It's a very interesting battle there. And then you throw TB12 into the mix. The thing that bothered me was he was the most productive quarterback of the entire day. He was, and he's not supposed to be. Well, but he was the, he was the best performing quarterback. He only played a few snaps. But can, look, I'll give you my notes on the quarterbacks. I have a lot of notes here. Uh, I, I decided to, to to do quick summaries on what I saw as a very poor scout. Um, Cone, I said he's great with time. He's made several nice throws, and a lot of them were on the run. I've noticed many um, many throws on the run that I liked from him. Um, he's comfortable in the pocket and outside the pocket. Um, he missed an open touchdown uh, with an overthrow. If you guys recall that, he, uh, yeah. he had a and that was in double zero personnel, which we can talk about later as we get into scheme. Um, the, other than that, though, I thought he was really solid. He can scramble. He makes. Uh, he made a really nice throw um, after scrambling in the pocket on the run, um, and he's accurate. That's what I like about Cone is I find he throws a good ball, um, and he's really good with um, pitch and catch on out routes if he has time. So, you know, that's very common in college football. Um, in softer coverages, the receivers will run and then head for the boundaries. He can do that all day. Um you know, it wasn't his best, but he's like you said, P, he's getting used to it. And I saw a lot of good things there. For Pine, I wasn't super impressed. I don't think his arm strength is quite there. There was a few throws when he's going sideline to sideline that didn't quite have the mustard, whereas Buckner actually threw a really beautiful one. Um, I didn't like some of his decisions. There was a few. Maybe it's just the angle of the of the game, but I, I, I didn't quite see what he was seeing. Um, but he, he is good in play action. Uh, he had a really nice rollout where he where he hit a guy over the middle, and I did find Pine settled more as the game went along. So towards the second half, Pine was a lot better, um, but wasn't super impressed on on my first watch of him. And for Buckner, I have written here he's confident. Um, he's really good in a rhythm, which is on that first drive in the second half. That's what he was in. He was a perfect rhythm, but in the second drive, he missed a lot, and I think that's because he's a little too excited. He got a little ahead of himself, um, and just made some throws that he shouldn't have made. But he has great movement, uh, big arm. Uh, that throw to Lindsay was absolutely ridiculous, uh, where Lindsay goes up and makes a, a grab and falls down on the one. Um, I think we can build a playbook around him because there's so much he can do with his movement and with his arm. Um, and then uh, the fumble that happened, it was just from hesitancy and a lack of awareness of his surroundings. So he's going to get better at that. So those are my notes for the quarterbacks. I thought Buckner so, was the most impressive, but he's not going to win the job. And we have to be very clear about that right now. But that that's where the two horse race is. It's not with Pine. Everyone's trying to say that Pine should be something because, you know, he played a new Canaan for a Marinelli offense and all that. And that you probably don't understand that reference, D, but it's a New England thing. He, I wouldn't be surprised, let me put it that way, if he transferred to a 1AA school or an FCS school and did very well there. Or if he transferred to UMass and played for Bell over there. I could see him leaving 
and leaving it to be Cone and uh, TB12 for the foreseeable future. Uh, you think you'll leave this year? I can see him leaving next year. Um, ne- next year, I mean, not not right now. He'll stay in. He'll be the backup to Cone. Yeah, right. with the uh, instant transfer rules, I think it. You know, he he has the hope that he gets in this year at some point, but next year probably gone. Yeah. Yeah. So those were just my quarterback notes. Did you have anything else, um, Steve, going around the the horn here? Do you have anything that you saw from the the clip that I sent you? Yeah. Uh, do you want me to cover just the quarterbacks, or just give you the quick notes? Any, I only have about five points you want. to make. Yeah. Go ahead. Anything. All you right. Want. So my five points to make. One. This defense swarms like a son of a bitch. I mean, we already knew this about them over the past couple of years, and and I'm not sure if this is kind of the Marcus Freeman effect uh, right now or if this is kind of more systemically being built out by great recruiting and great development over the past five years. But they swarm the football, They especially the middle of the field. I feel like it, we're basically going to be impossible to penetrate. Um, like, I don't think that we're going to see a Devonta Smith kind of quick slant thrown against us like you know like obviously bama was doing to us all playoff long so i think we've kind of covered that up now the boundaries are obviously going to be where there's a lot of cause for concern but a middle of the field from what we saw in very limited capabilities it's looking promising uh second chris tyree needs to touch the ball an absolute bare bones minimum 15 times a game anything less is a human rights of violation to be honest because he, he just has too much qu- – I saw him turn a, a loss of three into a gain of eight, all right? It's, and, and that's, you know, that's what a top-end talent and that's what top-end speed can do for you. It's, it's not necessarily going to get you a 48-yard touchdown run every single time he touches the ball like Josh Allen in 2016 uh, or where was that, 2019? I don't know. My memory sucks. But regardless um, – <laughs> You know, the the difference there within is on a on a day to day down to down basis, those guys can make a difference of a couple of yards, and a couple of yards at the time is the difference between third and two and third and seven. And third and seven did not treat this Irish team good last year uh, or historically. So I I think that he's he's really someone that should get more touches given how dynamic he is. Third point: How dare the coaching staff? not put a red non-contact jersey on TB12 in the spring game. He, they wanted him to run. P he wanted to make played, a point here. He hasn't played football in 18 months. They needed him to get hit. No. Yeah. He, he should never be touched ever. Anyone who tackles but, him, no, I will, no, 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 I will no, send no, no, a, no, no, no. a Steve, bleep Steve. bleep to their house, and you can Steve. fill in those bleeps. Steve, you're an idiot. <laughs> if anybody touches, if anybody lays a finger on Tyler Buckner, I will personally okay that, blank that's them. Fine. You throw you throw a red jersey on. Him. Let's have a little tête-à-tête here. You throw a red jersey on him. He hasn't been hit in football contact since his junior year because mm-hmm. he had, was out with an ACL or a sophomore year. I don't know. He was out, so he hasn't been hit. He needs to acclimate to being hit. To get ready to get hit. Okay. It also, his game I get style, what you're right? Saying, counterpoint, Blake Fisher. We have a fantastic offensive line. Tyler Buckner should not be touched in the four years that he's but, here because, but Tyler, he's going to play Tyler all four Buckner. years and win four. Also, Tyler Buckner played rugby in high school. Don't know if you know about that. Don't know if you know. I also play rugby. Me and him are pretty much the same person. So <laughs> he 
you don't have to worry about him getting hit. But I want to see him put his head down, roll out, and run for, you know, a touchdown. He will yeah. do that. He has that rugby speed. If anyone has any tape on Tyler Buckner playing rugby, you know where my DMs are. Please I am me. I am staying steadfast in my view that if anybody touches Tyler Buckner, I will personally he, kill them. He is but rugby. We're, we're, we're going to move on. We're going to move he on. The Bruins... Stuff. Bruins puck drop game two in a couple of minutes. So we got to get the show on yeah. the road here. Um, but, but yeah, but throwing not only a red contact Jersey around him, but also a, a gigantic bubble. And if anyone touches, they'll kill him. Uh, okay. Final point. Um, one of the following is true and I'm not sure if I'm terrified or excited and we'll talk this one out amongst the group. Cause this will be my last point. One of the following is, uh, statements is true and I'm not sure which. Either our rush defense is absurdly good or our offensive line gets absolutely no push in the run game. Yeah, it's number two. No, it's number one. Which one did you say first? Um, defense is incredibly number good. One. The defense is incredible, and that's something I had in my notes. The offensive line was very criticized, and I think some of that was not deserved. I went back and watched yeah. some O-line play. And I have my notes here. They had many nice moments. Um, and I'll just give you some examples. Uh, Karamody on the first drive had a nice block. Uh, on the second drive for White, um, the O-line held up so Cone could make a nice throw over the middle. Um, that happened again uh, on the same drive. Um, Fisher took on Foskey, and I'll talk about that more in a moment. But he blocked him really nice on a key drive. Um, uh, the Tyree run. Um, was a huge win for the offensive line. They did a great job of, of holding the defensive line still. Um, Fisher, I've gotten in my notes a few times. Um, he was really good. Uh, and, and on one run, he actually drove. Uh, it's the German Ehrensberger. Uh, he, 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 he took him for a ride um, on one of the runs here. So I think it's definitely the D-line because I'm looking at the depth chart and we have um, five starting caliber defensive ends. It's ridiculous. There's five guys I feel comfortable with starting on this program, and there's two spots. So it's definitely the D-line. The The tackles are ridiculous, too. I mean, Ryan uh, Millies or Mills or what? what's his name? Um, it's Mills. Uh, Riley it's Mills. 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 Ry- Riley Mills. There it is. I knew there was an, a Lee somewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. Riley Mills is a monster. Um, he's going to be playing the three-tech behind Jason at uh, Admidolia. Adamiola, I'm so bad with names. It's, you guys the, know it's the preseason. It's the preseason for all of us. Uh, yeah, it's preseason time. But even even the nose guard, you got Heinish, Lacey, Cross. To me, all three of those guys, I'd be comfortable with playing the one tech. Oh, they're game. all legitimate starters. They're yeah, all legitimate. So I'm not worried about the O line. I mean, it's it wasn't great. You got to think our best O line guy wasn't playing in Jarrett Patterson. Um, so I'm not worried about that. I have thoughts on Fisher though. Um, Blake Fisher was mostly good. Um, He's very, very powerful, but he's very, very slow, and he is not an agile boy. When you see him out there, he actually looks bigger than his equipment. Like it's almost comical the way he looks yeah. in on the field because he's so big, but he he don't move too well. Um, and um, and Foskey beat him a few times, but again, it's his first game in probably a year. Um, and he's a freshman. And the fact and that it's we're also worth noting him. that preliminarily, I saw that Foskey is on first round pick watch. Yeah, no, Foskey is legit, and getting beat by him with agility is not a not a bad look at all. It just, it happened, so it's something he's going to have to work on more, um, but his power is there as a true freshman. He's one of the most powerful tackles, I think, on the team. Um, 
really, really dominant. Who was that cat who went to Ole Miss? They have a Sandra Bullock movie. Yeah, yeah. Mike, I don't know his name. Michael Orr. Michael Orr. He reminds me of Michael Orr when you watch him play. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally get that. Um, Spindler, another guy I kept an eye on, he got overpowered a bunch. Um, Myron just kind of abused him one or two times. But Rocco is really agile. I love his movement. He's pretty fluid. Um, and he did some good good stuff out there, too. So, again, for, for a true freshman in a spring game, you know, he's almost like negative freshman like he's he's there early and he's he's holding his own that's phenomenal too so i think the o-line is going to be good um and then another freshman the only other freshman who got a lot of game time was uh lorenzo styles he actually started as the field receiver for one of the teams um he only made one catch at the end but it was great athleticism to go up and get the ball um he was all over the place though i thought there was many times where he could have been thrown the ball and the coaches seemed to have confidence in them so that's something to keep an eye on too as we head into um the actual season uh but pete let's let's circle it back to you is there anything else you noticed yes. um go yes. ahead Indeed, there was. Uh, I would be remiss that a podcast goes by without talking about my favorite player. Uh, now my favorite family. Uh, Jay Bramblett. Knew that, that was ball. coming. Well, he is going to be the best punter in the nation if we have to punt. Yeah. He will Hopefully get we drafted. <laughs> will get drafted. I put my, it's Monday, May 17th, 2021. Jay Bramblett will be an NFL draft pick. Is he a senior next year? He's a junior. Oh, could you imagine leaving early as a punter? Um, he will be an NFL draft pick. Mark my words. Shout out Bramblett family. I know they're going to think because I had tweeted that somebody was half joking about a Notre Dame punter being drafted next year, that maybe they're getting their hopes up. Um, oh, but God. maybe he's just that good. Whole, it's going to be Ian Book versus Northwestern all over again. So I got some other things to go over too after we, we do Bramblet. So Keys and Davis, both, both were really good. Um, I think we could incorporate both of them into the offense. Um, Botella was a menace. He was yep. bull rushing people. He got a sack and a push on Drew Pine uh, after beating um, a, an O lineman. Um, I really liked Botello. I thought he was phenomenal. Um, overall, just some nice throws. Nice interception by by Simon to undercut the route. Uh, Myron was my player of the game easily. I think he's having him in that strong end, kicking him out from DT to, to strong end is going to be disastrous for other teams. He's just really, really good. Um, yeah, I thought even the DBs weren't too bad either. I thought Offord played decently well. Um, we didn't see too much of Philip Riley, but they had him in the field field cornerback spot. He looked decent. Uh, Tariq Bracey had a really good game. Um, they mixed him up in the slot and outside. Um, so interesting to see how that's going to work too. So I, I have hope for the DBs. I was really worried about that going in. Uh, I got to shout out Litchfield Ajavon. That boy murdered someone. He got away with a helmet to helmet. Uh, but like <laughs> two plays later, he does it again and he breaks up a, a pass in the end zone. That guy is going to be, I think, a surprise player for us next year. Maybe not I love like a starter. I do too. And he, he plays with a tenacity to himself. So I really, really looking forward to seeing him get some snaps this year. I mean, he he has old man anger because he is 39 years old. He's 39 he's years 102 old. 102 yeah, years old. Yeah, I mean. So I've got scheme to talk about unless you guys have something to go in first so i you know i don't want to hog up the time here so 
really quick point just to circle back, like Jen Saki, really quickly. Um, Jordan Badello, I am. He's not the most physically impressive person on the field at all. He's your standard, I think, you know, 6'2", 220, so he's not imposing in any capacity. He's not extraordinarily fast, but he is always, always, always around the ball anytime I've seen him on the field. So kind yep. of – I'm very intrigued by him and, and really excited for the future. And and at especially at the linebacker position, we have – and incoming in this, uh, you know, recruiting class also – an astronomical amount of depth, but it's going to take a couple of years for guys to get in there. So be, him being a kind of a tweener guy that can play D end or even linebacker if he wants to, going to be interesting to see how his career shakes out. But I'm excited for him. But I'll, I'll and, pass uh, along to you. Maris Leofal. I, I love him. Yeah, he, 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 uh, he was good. He got burned one time on a throw. It was it was almost funny. Like, he had a really good game. I really liked Maris Leofal. But... Um, there was a play action play where he lost his man and uh, the cone hits his, hits his target over the middle. And Maris Leofu is just, you can see him. He's looking at the receiver thinking like, whose guy is that? Not realizing he lost his guy because he just didn't see him. And then it was just it, really funny. It led to a big play, but otherwise he was, he was fantastic. But something I was looking for is the scheme, uh, obviously to fill out the depth chart and to see which way Marcus Freeman and how the offense is changing and, and all that stuff. So, First play of the game, it's a banging first play. We have an uh, empty backfield, four receivers, and Cone hits Wilkins deep. Um, way to start the game. I'd love to see more of that. Um, and that's kind of set the tone. We played shotgun all game. I noticed, the first time I noticed this under center was in the second quarter, and it was a Drew Pine play action pass. We are always in the shotgun. Um, we threw the ball a lot, too, um, from what... My notes in the condensed game, I we were in the first quarter, three pass to every run, um, really pass heavy, which seems to be a little more dynamic. I think also there's less tight end sets because we just don't have as many good tight ends this year. And I think that's the one good thing of Tommy Tremble leaving as much as you'd love to have him is that now there's less of a pressure to get two tight ends out there all the time and just roll with Mare. And as we know, when you when you're in a more 10 personnel or 11 personnel set, you're more likely to be efficient on the field. Um there were some cool play action calls from the shotgun slash RPO where either the running back or the tight end receiver would go run a, run a flat. And I think that could be super effective against um, really aggressive defenses. Um, yeah, really that's nice. Just, that's just a sticker out there. What they were doing there. And I'm looking up my, my whiteboard in the sky right now. They would run that RPO action and they would run a stick behind it to get the linebacker who was overly aggressive. Uh, in the type of offense that Reese is going to run, and this is a very basic offense right now. We're, we aren't into camp yet. Uh, the stick routes are very effective, especially with the tight end. Or if they decide to use it, kind of like what Auburn did with the F-back or H-back, where yeah. they can slide them over and slip them out. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of the stick route. I yeah, am a, nice. a huge fan of how Auburn runs the 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 H back tight end kind of combo right there when they're in from the backfield. Yeah, I, I a full agreement that I think there's tons of opportunity to open up the field with multiple tight ends. So I'll pass. Sure. So that's what we did. That, that's what we did with my Mayor and Tremble last year too. Tremble yeah. became that H back. Mm-hmm. So that's what I. I liked some certain play calls too. There was a nice wheel route with uh, Chris Tyree that was beautiful. They were using him more in the um, in the throwing game. Um, lots of 
um, jet sweep motions and then faking the ball to the running back. So you got misdirection in two directions, and it really flew uh, a lot of defenders off. That's how Buckner scored his touchdown. Uh, there was the fake handoff, and then there was another big play too, where that where that occurred. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. A lot more uh, motion was something I know the NDF analytics guys were kind of calling for this year. Um, overall, I actually thought the offense was good. It looks like we're throwing the ball more. We're a little more in shotgun, a little more aggressive personnel, and and, and I like that. D scheme. He, people were wondering what Marcus Freeman's going to do. This this is my notes. We were mostly in our four two five base. That didn't change. We had four down linemen. We had two linebackers, four DBs, and the rover. However, there was a lot of 3-4 looks, and the way the 3-4 would look is three down linemen and then two outside linebackers that were basically edge rushers. So you have a five-man front. There was a lot of that, too, um, which was really interesting. So you still have your two middle linebackers, essentially, and you got five guys on the line. We didn't blitz much. Um, I thought... Maybe that's something he's hiding, but Marcus Freeman showed a lot of blitzes and actually dropped a lot of linebackers back. And there was a huge play on that on third and 18. They ended up beating the coverage, but it was a great play call because they brought, they showed a blitz of six and they dropped two random linebackers in coverage, which I think is going to confuse opposing quarterbacks and kind of maybe think there's more pressure than there is and get a little trigger happy. Um, And then you still protect yourself coverage wise. So I really liked what I saw from the defense. Good four, two, five, lots of three, four. I'd like to see more blitzes when they did blitz. It was almost always Leofau blitzing. Um, And I really liked that too, because that boy can hit home. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. uh, Scheme wise that I saw that we're, we're going to kind of keep our base, move a little more three, three, four. um, And then offensively kind of throw the ball more, which is all good stuff in my opinion. So this is more so staying on that point about defense, but kind of bringing it broader. What The final score was what, like 17 to 11 Three. or something? Um, Three. What, whatever it was, it, it was a very interesting score. You watch Alabama's A-Day that they did the other day, which is their blue and gold game. The final score of that game was like 52-49 or some bullshit. So... Does that mean Notre Dame is just playing against the best defense in the country right now? Or does that mean that Alabama didn't play any defense in their game? Defense optional in the SEC, as we know. Fair enough. Yes, and kicking optional as well. Uh, But it's just very interesting to see a competitive game that ND played. Meanwhile, the SEC is just sitting on their laurels and letting the offense be the offense. Yeah, so I, I, I want to wrap this up here because I know the Bruins are on and, and Steve loves his playoff hockey. Um, We're up, we, Jake DeVrest scored. It's one nothing. Not a big Nice. I, I got my hockey team going on Wednesday. Um, so let's let's two things it's here. One, it's it's one to one. God damn it. So shout out anyone who impressed you through the game, either a surprise or someone that just really blew you away. And then there's one more thing I want to talk about before we go. So we'll kind of do this in a in a short little wrap here. So P. Uh, can you name someone you were really impressed with in the blue and gold game? Tyler Buckner. I know it goes nice. without saying, but I, I like him a lot. Steve? Um, I'm going to go Shane Simon. Heard his name a lot. Seemed to be yep. all over the place. Had the interception. Um, yeah, I mean, this is this is his year to basically just say I'm an NFL caliber player or not. And it's, it's really make or break for him. And he looks like he's, uh, he's stepping up to the occasion. Yeah. Our, our linebacker group was going to be silly this year um, with, with him and, and, uh, and white coming back 
you know, it's very rare you get your both your linebackers as two-year starters. Um, and then when you throw in Bo Bauer in there, Leah Fau, Jack Kaiser, who's going to be, he looks like he's going to be. Yeah, Lamb left, but Kaiser looks like he'll be the rover, but I think he'll be the rover and sometimes the linebacker. I think he's just going to be everywhere. Um, Yeah, it's really exciting. So last thing I want to talk about, and this one's going to hurt, Jordan Johnson transferring to Central Florida. What are your thoughts here? Because uh, I think this is the the only news we haven't really caught up to in terms of uh, Notre Dame this offseason. P, I will defer to you because I know you have some strong opinions, and let's get those spicy takes out there. Good riddance. He wasn't a Notre Dame caliber player. That's what it comes down to. He sucked in the spring game. He couldn't learn the playbook. He's not Notre Dame caliber. Let him play in the, where the not the Big East, but the, where UCF is. I think it's like the AAC, but yeah. Um, the AAC, yeah. Yeah, my my thoughts are twofold, and they're they're completely opposite sides of the same token. I think if that, whatever, screw it. Um, first thought is that man, oh man, we one we have a gigantic hole in the depth chart and, and it just really sucks because we seemingly have the next two years with no clear guy to be, to come in and be the dude because more likely than not, this will be Kevin Austin's last year. We know for a fact it's obviously Avery Davis's last year. I think uh, Joe Wilkins Wilkins is out of eligibility as well. So like, well, we everyone do- everyone has an extra year because of COVID. Yeah, so Wilkins can come back, but Lindsay's the guy with Austin that you're expecting to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, you got a Jordan Johnson sized hole in your depth chart right now. There but, will but be talent, but there's going to be young and unproven talent that will probably not have much game experience up to that point, and that's what's scary. But, P, you wanted to get in a point. Yeah, you don't lose talent if talent didn't produce. So, Yeah, I, I get the, the tough love take, thing. too. So it's here's not, the thing. I'm it's, always... not, it's not even tough love. Like, if he's not on the field producing for the team, he is a distraction outside because he's tweeting during games man i wish i was out there figure it out i didn't know about that and i don't want to comment on that um but i'm always pro athlete especially in the college game it's i just you have to be pro athlete i think um in their ability to choose where they go so i'm happy he's finding a place where he wants in in central florida and i believe in the instant transfer rule so i'm happy for him Mm -hmm. i don't know his story um, I've heard maybe academics, if that's the case, fair enough. If it's a culture fit, fair enough. But if it's playing time and look, I'm pro athlete here. I, I totally support his decision to leave, but it can simultaneously be true that the coaching staff should have been playing him more because one, our receiver group wasn't great. And two, he was a five-star receiver with a lot of talent and like Michael Mayer, he should have saw the field. I think, and I think a lot of the listeners do, and I know you do too, Steve, we wanted to see more of him in mop-up duty, in weaker games. Sometime we needed to see Jordan Johnson, and I think we can absolutely criticize the staff for not playing him enough. On the flip side, so that can be true. It is also true that you're a freshman, and you can't really be expecting to be starting as a freshman. Now, I'm not saying that's why he left, but if it is, if it's, you know, you didn't get enough game time in your first year, I just don't think that's a reasonable expectation for a college athlete at a college playoff program right Notre Dame is even though a receiver group wasn't top of the world 
it's still full of scholarship athletes. We are competing for a national championship, and you're a freshman. And look, it, not many freshmen get to play. Michael Mayer is kind of the anomaly. We're not going to see many freshmen play this year other than maybe Blake Fisher if he wins the left tackle job, which is something we're going to talk about in the next episode. But I just, if that's the reason, and I don't, I'm not saying it is, I just don't think it was reasonable for you to to expect to play in your first year. And if that, and then leave, you know? So if it's any other reason... You know, I support him. I hope he does well. I don't want to comment on on anything like that because we don't know anything, and that's another thing with with these things. But from my perspective, um, I, I it's more about the fans. So you know, what I'm saying here isn't for Jordan. It's for just the fans who are getting mad at the coaching staff. It's like, yes, we should have seen them play more, but you can't blame Coach Kelly and Coach Rees for him leaving after not seeing enough game time. He's a freshman for you know, like, come on. He's a freshman. So there, there's happy, a reason. Getting... Yeah, go ahead. There's a reason that Kelly, Reese, Freeman, even Leah Vanderbilt now, why those coaches wear the coaching polo on the sideline and are in the locker room on Saturdays, and we are watching the game on television. Notre Dame fans. This is not directed to me, Dylan and Steve, but it can be if we want it to be. The coaches know a whole hell of a lot more than you think you do. You're on Twitter and you have your Twitter fingers criticizing every play that happens during the game, and we do it too. But there is a reason that they are getting paid to coach football, and we are paying for beer to watch football. That's all I'm going to say. They're a lot smarter than we are or will ever be. And I'll bridge that gap for you. By the way, Patrice Bergeron scored. He's the captain of the Boston Bruins. It's not a big deal. Greatest person ever to live. Nobody, uh, nobody cares. It's Jay Bramblett. <laughs> I'll go ahead. Okay. Anyway, um, to, to kind of bridge the gap between the both of you, because everyone here, I think, is all making extremely good points and all valid points, you know, valid critiques. Uh, Dylan, you know, player freedom. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. And and P, to your point, at a certain point, like, you know, the, the coach knows uh, the coach knows what his guy can do, what his guy cannot do. And I think what is I'm, I'm obviously pissed off because I want the talent there. But I maybe to P's point, the talent isn't there because at the end of the day, Jordan Johnson, a supposed five star wide receiver from he is from St. Louis, Missouri. So if he were if this was about going home and being more comfortable, he would have gone to the University of Missouri and and like people would have said, oh, all right, he went to like a crappy program, but it's because he's being closer to home. And that sort of thing does happen. He went to UCF to play in the AAC. Yes, he's going to have yards, he's going to get catches, he's going to have girls, he's going to have partying and all that sort of stuff, and maybe that more suits his and, personality. And that could be it. That could that, be it, too. That right? could be it, Like right? Like, I mean, obviously, South Bend, Indiana, not exactly the, you know, South Beach, uh, <laughs> but but at the end of the day... Uh, <laughs> shout out Nate. <laughs> shout out Nate Atkins. <laughs> um but at the end of the day, you know, we're not losing a guy that's going to Clemson, Bama, Georgia, Texas, U- USC. You know, we're not losing a guy to a top tier program. We're losing a guy to a semi relevant middle of the road program. And that's yeah. what is helping me square the circle. And that's what's helping me just say, hey, you know what? Really love the guy signing. But now with the way it's shaken out, I can see that it, it just wasn't meant to be. And I'm cool with letting him go. 
Yeah, 100%. I'd prefer it if he was here, but that's not for us to decide. And we don't know, and that's a good point P made. We don't know what the coaches see every day. Maybe it just wasn't a fit. Maybe it was academics. Maybe it was just he wanted to play immediately. We don't know. And that's why I think we need to definitely lay off the player. Um, yep. You know, on social media, you know, this is this, is this person's life. Don't tweet at players or Never. Recruits. Unless it's Stop positive. That. No, not even if it's positive if it's a recruit. Stop tweeting that. Yeah. Recruits. And no, let me let me get on real quick soapbox real quick, and Steve will let you go after this. There's an account. I'm not going to name the account because it doesn't occupy my brain. Every time there is a potential recruit, he puts on Instagram, blow up their mentions, tell them to go to ND. Stop doing that. You don't slide into mentions of high school kids. Stop yeah. it. Be a good fan. Stop being creepy. Yeah. They Use are your kids. platform for good. They're kids. Use your platform for good. They are kids. I wish Jordan Johnson all the best. Whatever he does in the future, good for him. Stop tweeting at recruits. They are still humans, and they are still kids. Yep, yeah, hundred percent. That's where I was going with it too, right? You just kind of extrapolate that principle to to Jordan Johnson online. That's it's his life. Lay off. And that was my thing I was getting to with the playing time thing. You can blame Kelly legitimately and Reese for not playing him enough, but I don't think it's fair to blame the him them for the transfer because of the game time. That's all I was trying to get with that. Pro yep. player, it's, it, I think all of what we're saying is compatible here because if he's not a fit, he doesn't want to be here, fine, fair enough. Absolutely. Got other things I think everything do. is in congruence. But you can hold all of these opinions simultaneously. None of them intersect in a, in a, in a negative manner. So you're correct, Dylan. All right. I'm done. Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about before we uh, we peace out and get to some playoff hockey? Um, so j- let's just give people kind of a preview of what the summer is going to look like. Obviously, we don't do uh, you know episodes all the time. We do like to check in at the relevant times. Obviously, this week was the uh, the draft recap and the the spring game. But Dylan, if you wanted to kind of just bring us out uh, preliminarily, what you see kind of going on schedule wise this summer. Yep. So in the next week, two weeks, three weeks, sometime soon, um, I want to publish a podcast on the de- the depth chart that I've been working on, and also post the depth chart online, a full depth chart of the entire scholarship team, and analyze position by position. I, it's still early, but it's good to get that out of the way soon, especially now that we have a greater idea of where everyone is playing. So that's going to be the next episode, and that will be like a companion with on Twitter, an actual depth chart. So you guys can check it out and see where, where we're projecting. Um, after that, it's nothing really planned. We may drop something every now and then if any kind of news comes up, but you know, August comes around, you, you can bet that we'll be here to do a schedule preview, um, and a season preview. And then we'll get into the season four of the four horsemen podcast. All right. And then now that we've covered that, let's, uh, just hand up with some closing thoughts just in general on the draft or the spring game or anything as we head into summer. Uh, Dylan, let's start with you. Um, draft went well. Notre Dame is at its best since the 1990s. Blue and gold game revealed a lot of cool information. And um, it should be nice to each other, you know. Let's, uh, let's have a nice peaceful spring and summer, or as in Canada, winter and summer. Uh, <laughs> we are we are currently in summer, by the way. It's it's. I know you Americans don't know Celsius, but it's like in the twenties right now, which is pretty hot for me. That's that summer sounds weather. frigid. Yeah, What's it's, that it's American? eighty. I don't know, somewhere around there. Hmm. So, um, 
yeah, so that's it. Have a nice little time off so we can get together for the season, hopefully in person, and uh, and just keep that in mind. So go Irish. All right. Thank you, Dylan. Uh, P, I'm going to let you close this one out because I'm just going to really quickly give my thoughts. One, spring game was cool. Would wish for higher scoring, but I think it's indicative that our defense is going to be absolutely disgusting and we are, in fact, going to win the national title. It feels like 93. Don't know how, but we'll figure it out. Um, and then other thoughts. Go Boston Bruins. They should win the Stanley Cup. If they don't, I'm going to kill myself. And then last thought here is... Speaking of killing myself, uh, despite the bad weekend I had, I was at a wedding. Um, P, my promise to you, accountability buddy, is that we're uh, it, it's it's going to be hashtag skinny season for the rest uh, from now until September. No booze, working out, doing doing workout stuff. I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to figure it out, and, and we're going to get skinny because P and I are, are getting married uh, one week apart this upcoming September, and that's my full update. And P, let's uh, let's get those closing thoughts. Talk about synchronicity on the podcast, me and Steve. That's that's wild. I'm getting married the day before the Wisconsin game. Steve's getting married the week after, or week before. Week before September 18th, Purdue. You got Purdue. I got the September 24th. Uh, before Wisconsin. Nice. So you're all not invited. Uh, <laughs> the season, if there's some games that we can, we do have uh, a way to do Twitter spaces so you can listen to us talk and actually watch the game with us. So that's going to be super cool if we can figure out how to do that. Uh, really just general takeaways. Be nice to each other. Stop yelling at people for having different opinions than you. Uh, rest in peace, Lou Samoji. Uh, very sad reporter for Notre Dame. Uh, lost him over the uh, right before the blue and gold game actually and uh final thought big news for me uh i've recently become official advocate Notre dame you have to start uh, that over p frozen ah god damn it all right you're good now let it rip let it rip we won't even edit this just just wherever what your official news did you get the the okay official news big news I am officially the special teams correspondent for Notre Dame football. Uh, Harrison Leonard follows me on Twitter. This is not a drill. Harrison Leonard, James Temrod, me and him are boys. Uh, the Brand Bloods follow me as well. So, you know, pretty big day for me. I had Montgomery Van Gorder, the holder. He was the first to follow me, and now we're here. So, uh, looking forward to a season of holding and some special teams points. Special teamers are people, too. All right, Dylan, you're the captain in charge here. Lead us out, sir. I just That's all of us, eh? We had a good little podcast. Hope everyone's doing well. Stay healthy. We're going to see you guys in September, like virtually. Friendly discourse, yeah. I mean, you did call Steve an idiot, but that's normal. Um, yeah. Do not touch Tyler Buckner under any circumstance. <laughs> He's rugby tough. Uh, anyway, from all of us here at the Four Horsemen podcast. It's great to have you guys, and we're looking forward to season four. Go Irish.